Well, hello everyone, so great to see you. Uh, my name is Chris, I'm the student ministries pastor here at Agora Bible Fellowship. We are so thankful that you have joined us for another online service. And uh, we just wanted to share with you that our heart for everyone is to uh, be able to be connected with a local body, a local body of believers, a local uh, church. And uh, this online service is really just for uh, a supplement. Uh, so if you're unable to attend uh, because you're out of town for vacation or work, or you just want some extra uh, time in God's word, this is that's why this online service exists. Uh, but with that said, I got a couple of things I want to just remind you of. The first thing is uh, we love uh, praying for you throughout the week. So you can text us your confidential prayer request to 97,097000 and Stephanie will receive that and she will respond and uh, we get to pray with you throughout the week. Uh, the other thing is uh, we have a lot going on here at Agoro Biofellowship. We got uh, tons of life groups and ways to serve and uh, events and ministries. And if you want any additional information information in any of those areas, our website is the best place to start. And you can visit us there anytime at agorabible.org, and you can uh, find all the information uh, in any of those areas. Uh, lastly, uh, we are just so thankful for your ongoing generosity. There is no way that we can do what we can do uh, with our ministries uh, without your faithfulness uh, in giving. Uh, so we just ask that you preferably consider uh, to donate to our church. Uh, you can go to agorabible.org again, and you can click on the Give tab, and you can donate there. Well, with that said, go ahead and grab a cup of coffee and sit down and with your Bibles, and we're going to get into God's Word. Thank you. All right, church. Well, thank you again for joining us online. Thank you, Chris. Uh, good chance to be together and working through this uh, just powerful book. Hopefully, you're being blessed by it each week. Just uh, catching you up, we're in chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians. We're picking up in verse 25 here today. In the last a couple of weeks, we've had some pretty intense topics. We've talked about sex, we've talked about marriage, singleness, uh, divorce, and really, uh, as we've gotten into some of these topics, as you're listening to Paul speak, you might come to some conclusions that, that Paul has something uh, against or a problem with marriage. And that, again, we'll see in the, today's text where you start wondering, like, what's going on? But if you really look at the full counsel of Paul's teaching on the topic of, of singleness and marriage, he really holds marriage in high regard. As he's writing to the Ephesian, ch the church in Ephesus, he explains how marriage has the potential to reflect the relationship between Jesus and his church, how it's intended to be a light that goes into uh, every neighborhood. And so he has this really uh, powerful imagery of marriage, but here we're getting at least just kind of one side of the conversation. We don't know exactly what questions have been asked. It's kind of like if maybe you've listened into a, a, a phone conversation. You only hear one side of the conversation. You try to make sense out of what's being asked, what's being said, or, or maybe even worse, a, a text that you've received. I don't know if you've done this before where you've gotten a text and you received that text and you're trying your best to, to read into the context and you later fi find out that it wasn't at all what the person was meaning or what they're trying to say. I, uh, I saw this text uh, this week that, that made me chuckle of a text being taken the wrong way. Take a peek at this one. Obviously, that isn't a text you'd ever uh, want, exchange you'd ever want to have or, or see, but you get the idea that I'm alluding to is that, that we don't really know from what's being said what the full conversation is because you have 
both you have the Corinthians writing to Paul asking questions and then Paul writing back to the Corinthians and setting some parameters for some of these topics of marriage and family and divorce and all of these subjects that relate. So getting to the heart of the issue of really the heart of Paul, you have to go a little bit deeper into this text. The deeper you dig, you start to realize that this text is a little bit less about singleness and marriage and more about what does it look to be a un, have our undivided devotion to the Lord. Actually, in verse 35, it actually brings that to surface. It actually, he refers to that as being the goal. A lot of times we can get, get confused about the goal is, do we get married, not get married? Do we, like, how, do, how does that play out in our, our, our culture? But what Paul's saying, the most important thing isn't our marital status, but instead our undivided devotion to the Lord. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to see how uh, marriage and singleness play into that, how they have effect on that. Uh, but let more of peripheral topic than the bigger and greater one, which is the end goal of really each of our lives is wanting to be at a place where we're fully devoted to Jesus Christ. Let me just pray before we start exploring this text. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for a chance to gather around your word and how it speaks to our lives and even things that should be prioritized and things that shouldn't be prioritized. We pray that we would even do some self-reflection now in assessing what has maybe crowded out that devotion, what has maybe gotten our attention, our affection. God, we ask that our hearts would be sensitive to your spirit, even in this time in your word. We invite you to speak to us. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, here we are starting in verse 25. It says this, Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if, you, if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I would spare you that. All right, well, let's unpack a little bit of what he's, uh, what he's saying here, who he's speaking to. First, let's be clear on what that word betrothed actually means. It may also be translated the word virgin. It's talking about someone that's of marriageable age, but still single. Basically a blanket statement for somebody that is single. So he's writing now concerning the single people in the congregation, in the church family there. He says, no command from the Lord. I have no command from the Lord. What does he mean by that? Basically this idea of commanding from the Lord is that Jesus had very little to say about singleness while he's here. So Paul, being led by the Holy Spirit, is now giving them counsel, is speaking to the subject, hence why he describes himself, though, as trustworthy, because he is spirit-led. The spirit is guiding and directing him in this conversation. If you think about that and personalize it, we should all have godly input. People that are uh, a little bit further ahead in life, people that we respect for us not to approach life as a know-it-all, but be have a teachable spirit, so it's trustworthy input. And what is that input? 
It says, in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. See, the, the word there is a reoccurring word. We brought up, up a lot last week, this word remain. Basically saying, if you're married, don't look to get divorced. If you're single, don't look to get married. Why is he saying to stay put? Why is he saying to stay put? Basically, the reason he gives for that is the present distress. Now, what is this present distress? The word distress can actually be translated violence. He's likely referring to the violent relationship or conflict between Jesus followers in the present system in Rome. You see, Christians were being persecuted and being abused. It was a, a very harsh time for a Christian to exist. Paul had experienced that himself. He had been beaten. He had been thrown in prison. He had been through unbelievable difficulties and suffering. He's imagine him if he's thinking through this. He's like, man, if I would have had a, a wife and kid, kids at home as I'm going through all of this, what a challenging, complicated thing that would be. You'd constantly be playing it out in your mind. Well, what, what's my wife going to do li living at home in fear of what's happening next to Paul? So he, he's giving this, basically saying, in light of the current circumstances, man, just stay put. This is like hunkered down. It's kind of similar to somebody in wartime or, or during a, a, a plague or during some difficulty saying, man, don't change your circumstances. We're just trying to survive. So he tells them to stay put. There's obviously still present day external factors that would make us consider some of those things. He's also giving them, he's also not giving them permission to bail out on their marriage. So it's stay single if you're single, but if you're married, it, this isn't a green light just because of difficulty and outside circumstances to quit on that. He d d uses the word bound to your wife. It's not a, a ball and chain joke there. It's basically saying that, pointing out what we've already discussed is that the, the commitment that you have, that you're actually bound, you're united for a lifetime. He's important what he explains though. He explains that regardless though, this is not something, he's, he's just giving counsel and wisdom. It's not something that's a, a sin issue. If somebody that's single chooses to get married, they have freedom to do that. That's a, that's a permission uh, granted. But he reminds them, if they do choose to go the route of marriage, what does he say their experience is gonna look like? Do you see it there in the text? He describes them as having worldly troubles, and he would love to spare them of those worldly troubles. What are these worldly troubles? I would suggest the worldly troubles is something that anyone that's married realizes is that anytime you're taking two broken, sinful people and you're bringing them together, you're uniting them, you're going to have complications with that. And then when you add a couple more, two, three more uh, little sinners into the mix, it even gets more complicated. You see, there are worldly issues and some of the issues that we have come to surface. My wife, as you know, has been recovering from this knee surgery and we're getting down to the, the six weeks uh, is up where she can finally start putting weight on it. But even after that starts, it's a long progression moving forward with physical therapy. And I remember after her asking me something just a, a week ago, asking me to help with something and I was just like, man, it sure will be nice when you're finally able to be mobile again. 
And in that, her response, I don't remember her exact words. I'm not going to try to quote her, but it's something pointing out, uh, is that rooted in selfishness? Now, first, I had a great comeback to give in a response to that. You know how we do in marriage. We always have the comeback. But the more I actually wrestled through that statement, I'm like, actually, that is to a large degree rooted in selfishness. You see, what I've always said about marriage is marriage is a mirror to her own selfishness. And so for, for any person to realize that marriage isn't the solution for your problems, but the magnification of them. So when it talks about this word trouble, for us to really take that to heart, to realize that it is a challenge. If you think about it, the word trouble means to crush under a weight, to press together, to squish, to, to, to hem in, to squeeze tightly. Basically, the complexities that marriage brings can be a challenge. And when you think about it, about undivided devotion to Jesus Christ, you can see why he's making, giving some degree of a caution towards that because he's like, hey, if this is your end goal, you've got to be one, aware of outside distressors, and then second, some of the challenge of cohabitating with a fellow sinner in the bound relationship of marriage. Continue in the text. He says, this is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as, the, as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. Wow, pretty intense section. We'll explore that. Well, let me start just getting our, our mindset around them. I don't know if you've ever remember playing this game as a kid, where it was like, a, a, I think it was called maybe a, a, a five chair or something like that, something to do with chairs. Basically, you'd have, say, six kids in five chairs, and you're running in circles around these chairs, and they, they're playing music, and when the music stops, the kids that are there have to each find a chair to sit in, and it always leaves one person out, that person's eliminated, then they take one more chair away. Do you remember this game? I was thinking about that. That's a, a great picture of what Paul is describing here. He's describing a life that we don't know when the music is going to stop. We don't know. All we know is that life is short. Life is short. He's not, he says the appointed time has grown very short. He's not referring to the pending return of Jesus, but instead the brevity of this life. It's short. It's very short, especially when you don't know how much time you actually have left. Do you feel like that as well? Have you sensed just how it seems like, man, just life is just moving so quickly? I have little moments in my week where I actually notice this more than others. I was actually just uh, this week, my, my daughter Alexa is trying to get enough of her uh, driving hours while she has a permit. She has to get 50 hours of driving behind the wheel experience before she can get her driver's license. So we're trying to pack in all of these hours. And I remember as Adrian sitting in the front seat with her crutches in the passenger seat and then Alexa's driving and I'm just sitting in the back seat. And there was just this moment that it struck me. 
morning. I'm like, man, I just, I just remember like it was lit. I know every parent says this. I, I remember like it was just yesterday that she's just a, a little girl. Now she's a, a, about to turn 16. It's just so crazy how fast time flies. And Paul's bringing that up, not as it relates to reminiscing about kids, but about the urgency in which we see our days as it relates to things that actually last. What, what, when, when this is all, he, he's saying, not only are the days quick, he's saying, not only are these days quick, but this whole world is going to, what we're familiar with is going to come to an end. So not days are short and this whole world is coming to an end. It's all passing away is the expression that he used here. And so sometime in the not so distant future, this is all going to wrap up. And the question that I think is important for each one of us is what actually will matter when that actually takes place? What will, what will matter? What actually lasts past this lifetime? The one thing that leaves on the other side of this, this very short existence, this, this wrapping up of the world in which we know, the one thing that lasts is people, souls. So what should be at the forefront of our priority? Man, we're on a, a rescue mission. We have to realize that people's souls are on the line. Where they're going to spend eternity, are they gonna spend eternity with the Lord or separated from the Lord and eternity. If you think about it, it's interesting if we actually start to implement what we actually claim to believe in what scripture teaches. Uh, eternity separated from God in the torment of hell. It's a lot of times preachers don't wanna say it, don't wanna spell it out like that, but that's the reality of what's actually at stake here. And it actually gives me shivers even to say that. But that's literally what's at stake if someone doesn't embrace Jesus Christ and the rescue that he offers through his, finish, through his finished work on the cross. So what are we doing here? So that's why you get some of these drastic statements by Paul. You're just like, what are you, what are you saying? Like, what kind of craziness? What, are you, what point are you trying to make? He's pointing out that life is short and the, the world will soon pass. So because of that, the plans of this life should be formed in view of that truth. The, while, while we're uh, not called to change our current status or our circumstances, we are called to, to change our thinking, to change our, our mindset, our attitude towards earthly things. And so basically he's saying, what does he say in the text? In light of that, he says, from now on, there's some things that need to change. We need to think differently about some things. Do you see it there in the text? He says, from now on, the first thing he brings up, talks about marriage. He says, from now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. Now, that shouldn't evoke a thunderous applause. He's not uh, telling us or giving us permission to shirk our responsibility. However, he's not telling us, he's not giving us permission to ignore our spouse or treat them as unimportant. However, we're not to have our worlds revolve around marriage and family to the neglect of spiritual things. The mission in which we're called to is to rescue people. You encounter so many people and it's so interesting to watch so many people. And I feel the tug of this as well. 
that elevate marriage and family is like, man, this, this becomes their God. When you look at their schedule, their week, the, the focus of their time, the energy, their thought, that's what he's saying. It's like, from now on, we have to move forward as, as if we're not tied or bound in marriage, moving forward without that being the, the primary focus of life. We have a tendency for that to squeeze everything else out. Marriage and family is no excuse for slacking on the Lord's work. That's, that's his heart. That's Paul's discussion that he's trying to move us towards. What does it look like to be fully devoted? From now on, what else? He says, from now on, those who mourn as though they were not mourning. What does he mean by that? He says, don't be so attached to human emotions. Don't rise and fall by what is happening in your world. Don't be overcome by grief from loss. You think about that. You see examples of that present day. You, you cross paths with somebody that lost somebody that was dear to them. And I'm obviously empathetic. He's not trying to be cold hearted and calloused, but he's saying, man, we don't have the time. We don't have the, the ability to stop everything, to allow, allow our emotions to control, to drive us, to allow that to be the guiding factor in our life. And he covers both sides of it, not just the, the mourning, but also the rejoicing. Those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. Some of us, if we're honest, are so enamored with the system and the way that things here uh, are going on in this world that we start rejoicing and getting so excited about things that he's like, man, those are really unimportant things. Think about that. I've been convicted about that back in the days that I was really into basketball, that I'd come home after a game and I'd completely be depressed for like a day if I played poorly. This is the kind of thing he's referring to. He's saying, don't, don't be caught up in things that, that are peripheral, that aren't necessarily a priority. He's talking about mourning, about rejoicing. The next thing he says, those who buy as though they had no goods. What is he referring to there? Don't get overly obsessed with the things that this life offers, the material things. Things that are, are shiny and clean and things that you, you're like, man, if I just had this, so easy for us to get tugged as that being a primary focus. I've mentioned before that one of my side hobbies for many years has been buying and selling cars. And that's been an excellent teacher in this topic of how fleeting it is. If you're placing your hope in something like that, you start to realize, man, once you get it, it really loses its luster. It's really not something that is sustaining. It's something that you're like, man, hold with an open hand, not a closed fist. That's really the whole idea with all of these things that he's saying. He's like, man, be open with it. Don't allow those to get a grip on you. The reason Jesus tells us we can't serve two masters for sure, a competing God. Last one, he says, as he's pointing out these things, he said, from now on, those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. Basically, most theologians agree from my study this week that he's talking about the, the pleasures of this world, the different things, the, whether it's the, the vacations, whether it's the uh, experiences, whether it's the restaurant eating out, whether whatever those things are, don't allow those to consume you either. Operate as if those are no big deal. We haven't arrived at our rest. Basically reminding us this is just so, such a short period of time. This is so temporary. He's pointing to all of these things and reminding us, don't get distracted. 
That's the big idea in this section. Don't be distracted. Don't allow these things to take you off course from what you're called to do. Probably one of the most challenging times I've ever had to preach. I was invited to this discipleship school and uh, they were having me talk and it was on the topic of distractions and staying focused and staying committed and, and, and similar, a little bit similar to this topic. The only thing they did, and they didn't tell me in advance that they were going to do this, is they had playing while I was speaking right behind me on the screen, they had a Disney movie playing at full blast. And they're challenging these students to try to stay locked in and focused on what I was saying and not on the Disney. But what they didn't consider is that I had a hard time staying locked in and focused on what I was saying and not the Disney movie. It was a real exercise for both. And I think that's the same idea here is he's saying, don't allow these Disney things to have your attention. Even good things like marriage. And it's appropriate to mourn at the loss of somebody. And it's appropriate to celebrate things that are even trivial here on earth. It's okay to have possessions, he said, but don't allow those to get, become a distraction and have too much of our attention, affection, and focus. Continue on in the text says, I want you to be free from anxieties. That's the idea here. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and in spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Basically, this is the idea here. Here's the thing for us to realize, I was alluding to it earlier, is that marriage has the potential to divide our devotion. Let's just be honest about it right here. That's what he's getting at. It's interesting to see that, that good things in life, things like, like as good as marriage as it describes it to the Ephesians as something that's a, a light on a hill. It has still the potential to be a competing God in our lives. You're, he's describing, you're, you can spend so much of your time concerned about pleasing your spouse on both sides, the husband and the wife, and about worldly things. What are these worldly things? Some of the, the, the things and the anxieties that are attached to that, whether it's a paying a mortgage, whether it's keeping up with getting the kids in school, doing all of the things, kids' sports, all the stuff that we're all very familiar with become competing uh, gods, divided loyalties if honest, many of us have a hard time with this. If honest, if we're honest, many of us see ourselves as part-time Christians protecting the majority of our time to fulfill our personal pursuits. Like, yeah, I, I, I'm into it this, of this much. I'm willing to give this much, but I'm not really ready to be fully in. In the U.S. military, they have an interesting thing you're probably familiar with. They have what's called the National Guard. The National Guard basically is, base, is designed for weekend warriors. Basically, once a month, they have a commitment that they're there to have training exercises. But the rest of the time, they're just kind of on call and not responsible for much. 
was thinking about that, and I was like, man, that, that really relates to what we're describing here. This idea of kind of a, a, a part-time, you want all the benefits of Christianity, but not really the full commitment. It's kind of the, the, the once a month weekend, I'm willing to commit to that, but not the, the sold out. Paul's trying to have us experience all that the Lord has in store for us, all of the adventures of what it looks like to be fully devoted, the potential of rescuing so many people, the potential of having a life that's marked with meaning and purpose. That's what he's calling us to. And he's not trying to, to guilt trip us. He's doing it for our benefit. Look at verse 35, what he says. He says, I say this for your own benefit. He's looking out for us not to lay any restraint upon you. He's like, I'm not trying to come up with a big list of rules for you to follow. He says, but to promote good order. I like that description. What is promote good order? A good uh, placement of priorities in your life. Saying, hey, th this is, they can get re misarranged and, and misdirected. He said, I want you to have a good order that your top priority should be, what does it look like to serve the Lord faithfully in my life? The last thing he says, and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. That's the end goal. That's, a, that's a, above and beyond all of these peripheral issues of, of sex, of marriage, of singleness, of divorce, all of these things. He says, all of that is really distraction from what he wants to see us because he's concerned about with our best interest in mind. He wants us to, to be seen as prioritizing that. All right, we'll continue the last couple verses here and wrap up. It says, if anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes, let them marry it is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under the no necessity, but having his desire under control and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord, referring to other uh, believers. Yet, in, in my judgment, she is happier if she <laughs> remains as she is. And I think that I too have the spirit of God. All right, we'll wrap up with this section. It's uh, kind of funny. I don't know if you're known for doing this, repeating something to get a point across. I'm not sure if you do this where you repeat something to get a point across, but this is the idea of what Paul's doing here. He's revisiting, kind of summarizing what he's already said here. Some, some parameters or guidelines, but let, let's look at what those guidelines are. First, it's not wrong to marry. It's not a sin. It's something that we have freedom to decide. If we feel the, the, the nudge in our life, if we're called towards that, then go ahead and move. And in fact, he says, if you're burning in passion, then go ahead and get married. He says, don't, don't stay in that position. If you can't control yourself, is basically what he's saying there, move forward and get married. But 
If you have the gift of singleness, he describes it as if you have control over things, if you're, if you're uh, being directed towards that, feel the freedom to remain single. You're not a second-class citizen. It's a shame that as a, a culture, we give so much pressure towards this, but he's trying to push back against culture and say, in fact, I, I not only uh, give you permission to do that, I think it's better It's interesting. So he talks about a a couple other things. He says, death opens the door to remarry. But of course, three different times here, he sneaks in, as I alluded to, to reiterate what his preference is. Do you see it there in the text? He says, keep her as his betrothed. He will do well. If he's willing to keep her uh, as just a single person to stay that, he's like, you will do well. The second time, what does, he, what does he say the second time in that sex? He who refrains from marriage will do even better. Third point that he's trying to reiterate his preference. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. Basically, Paul has as his primary focus, this is coming through the lens of somebody that is fully devoted, has undivided devotion to the Lord from his lens and his perspective, he's saying, man, you can do a lot better by remaining single. You see, when Jesus came, he wasn't trying to get us to adjust and to fix the current kingdoms of this world. What was he doing? Instead, he was ushering in a completely new kingdom where he is fully in charge, where he is Lord over all, where he is calling all the shots, where we are fully servants to him and submitted to him. Too many times we have a foot, and this is me speaking to myself, a foot in both kingdoms trying to make, make it work. But what he calls us to is different than that. He wants our undivided devotion. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this text. And really to be clear, a lot of times we take a a version of Christianity that's kind of a partial in and partial out. But when we're clear on scripture and what it says, that's not what you call us to. You call us to fully jump in, to fully trust that you have our best interest in mind, to fully trust that the life that you've called us to has significance and meaning and and adventure attached to it, to fully trust that this isn't where our rest is, that we're not to find attachment to the things here of this world. This is not our home. God, we thank you for your word, for your truth. I pray that you'd implant that in our hearts and minds, that we'd really wrestle through this and how it relates to us. I pray in Jesus Christ's name, amen. Thanks.